Good morning, everyone. Welcome to this part of the service. Sure enjoyed all the all the singing and, and the testimonies. Especially just enjoyed it seems the uh uh a number of the songs were were somewhat geared towards what I feel that the Lord is me to share this morning, so appreciate that. Um, I'd like to speak this morning, I, I've, I feel God has called me to speak on a, a number of messages on the kingdom of God, and um, I know that we, we, especially here in our congregation, we believe that we we understand the kingdom of God, and we believe in the in the. But I, I wonder. I, I really wonder how do do we actually do we do we understand it to the way that Jesus taught it? And there's a number of things that I'd like to look at this morning. I basically um, the message this morning. I want to. Um, I want to look at why it's important for us to understand and to comprehend, to, 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 to grasp what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. And so I'm, I'm going to start with a number of questions, some questions. I'd like to have some interaction from you guys uh, and to get a little bit of a feel for what do we, how do we really see the kingdom of God? What? What do we really believe? I, I know that for myself, when I, uh, Glenn, would, would you mind closing the doors back there? Somebody has a white suburban out there that's kind of bright. Uh, for myself, when I first started studying about the kingdom of God, I was, I was surprised at what I found. It was, it was, it was uh, there was just a lot there that I had not understood earlier on in my life, and so um, so the first thing we're going to look at is is why is it important? And as I mentioned, we're gonna we're gonna have some questions, and I'd like to have some feedback from you. Um, Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. The second thing we're going to look at then is what is a kingdom? And then I'd like to see, I go to, go to the Gospels and see, to the New Testament and see what Jesus taught, what the New Testament teaches about a kingdom. And, uh, and then especially on what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God. So, uh, why is it important? Some questions. Here's a question I'd like to have some, some feedback from you guys. When Jesus came to earth, what was, what was the theme? What was, his, what was the focus of his ministry? Anyone? Okay, very good. Sam? Mm-hmm. Good answers. And by the way, there's really, I'm not going to grade you guys on this. There's really no right or wrong answer here. Um, 
just, just some, uh, some interaction. Uh, another question. Is saving me from my sins, was that Jesus' primary reason for coming? Um, again, no right or wrong answer. That definitely, certainly was a part of it. I wouldn't want to leave anybody on the impression that that wasn't important. But I, I think there's more, there's more to it than just simply saving me from my sins. Another one. Do you think that the time, the 2,000 years since Jesus has been here, do you think that has made a difference on how we understand what Jesus has taught? Any feedback on any, any, uh, any comments on this? Paul says, sure. I say absolutely. Um, several things. Just the, the time. We, you know, obviously we have the word of God and we, you know, we believe that that is sufficient, but time has a way of changing things, you know. There's just a lot of things, think about in the last 30 years, how technology has changed and how that, you know, those things change our perspective of how we, we understand things. And, and even just, um, you know, if, if I wrote a book and I teach my son something and you give it 100 years, well, what happens in that 100 years? It becomes, we lose the significance Another one, I think this is, this is huge. Does our culture play a role in our understanding of Jesus' teachings? Who would we all agree on that? And, and just an example for, for myself, I, I wasn't very old before I began to understand that culture, wh wh where you grow up at, what the setting you grow up in plays a huge role on how you see life. As most of you know, I was born in Canada. My dad grew up in Canada, and mom grew up up here by Wakarusa. And so the first four years of their marriage, they lived in Canada. Joe and I were born there. And so from the time that I can remember being five, six, seven, up to my early teens, we would, maybe not once a year, but quite regularly, we would go back to Canada, and I would get to interact with my cousins. Well... As I began to be a little older, my older boys age 13, 15, I began to see that, you know what? Yeah, we're both horse and buggy Mennonites, but there's some differences. You know, there's differences in how they talk. And when I was younger, I could kind of get that, but it's kind of left. You know, A, they say A a lot. And there's just things like that. And I began to see that, you know what? If my dad would have chosen to stay living in Canada, I would be like that. So culture, where we live in, the country, the state, the city, that plays a huge role in how we view Scripture when we read Scripture. That has a huge impact on how we apply this to our lives. And so one of the reasons I want to go back to Scripture and try to, to, to peel away some of our cultural 
what do you want to call it, uh, lenses. Some of the ways that we see things because of, of, of who we are, where, where we live at, where we grow up at. So the first thing I'd like to do is define what is a kingdom. I thought I knew before I started studying for this message, I thought I had a pretty good idea of what a kingdom is. But the more I studied this, the more I wonder if, as American people, if we really understand the concept of a kingdom. Because, you see, the definition of a kingdom is a country whose ruler is a king or queen. Second definition is the spiritual world of which God is king, which is what we're studying this morning. However, we need to understand that a kingdom is, it is not a democracy, it is an autocracy, which is meaning it is ruled by one man or a, a controlling party, and you as a subject have no say in, you have no say in the matter. You, you, don't, you don't get to participate in choosing who rule, who is king. You don't get to participate in any kind of, any kind of government unless you are appointed. And so, so that for, for us as American people, that's, that's a, a big disadvantage that the, um, Second thing that I want to look at is a kingdom. A kingdom is a domain. It is the property. It is, the, it is owned by the king. And so the, the subjects simply, simply uh, are allowed to, to participate in that to whatever extent that the king allows or gives. Now, if you think about our country here in the United States, that is completely, totally against our grain, right? We would not, we would, we would move somewhere else because we just wouldn't let anyone dictate us. And if we... If we uh, you know, we, we have, a part of that is, is written, the, the reason we think that is because our country, the founders of our country designed our constitution, they designed the very core of our country to, to, to protect the citizens' rights. It's based on the very principle that you as a citizen have, have rights and that the king or the ruler our president will not infringe upon those rights. Now, so we, we have, they have created a government for the people by the people. We select, there is, no, there is no major party that holds power for any length of time. You know, we have, every four years, we have a, a presidential election. We have the, you know, the way our government is set up. We have the Congress and Senate. We have the president and we have the uh, Judicial, uh, the courts, what, what do you call that? Um, and, and those three 
are the way they're supposed to work together is that no one party will have will have can make a a decision simply based on someone deciding to make a decision. It will it needs to pass the Senate, and then the president needs to sign in into a, a law that he needs to sign it. He can try to veto it, but if there's enough votes from from the Senate and Congress, then he can't do that. And, if, and then there's the judicial, the, the courts, if there's like, there was sections of Obamacare that actually went to the courts. And, and so this all works together with one thing in mind. It's designed to protect the rights of the citizens of the United States. So as, as a... As, as people that have lived here in this country for a couple hundred years, this is woven into the very fabric of who we are. We think of, of ourselves, we, we consider having rights. Um, it's it, it's a, a big deal for us. Uh, also, another reason that we shy, that we... we we, we cringe, we have a hard time comprehending and wrapping our minds around an autocracy where one person is, is in control is because our, the examples in history ongoing in the world right now actually of that taking place are not very good. I mean, who's going to move to North Korea? Uh, Cuba. Or, I mean, you know, there's places in the world right now that uh, are under the dictatorship, is what we like to call it, of, of, a, of one man, pretty much. And, and there's, there's lots of other examples of, and brutal, often very suppressive and brutal killings, and, and the people are living in poverty, and it's, it's uh, you know, we, from our perspective as Americans, will say, well, that's not, that's not biblical. That's, that's wrong, right? Well, it is if the person in charge is, is a unregenerated person and living under the, the dominion of Satan. It is, it's chaos, right? But that does not mean that a good king would not provide for his people. That doesn't mean that in, from a perspective of bringing yourself under the submission and subjection of, like we sang this morning in our songs, our Lord and King Jesus Christ, that's perfect. Right? He, he is the source of our life. He loves us and provides for us. So, I'd like to go a little further and consider how that our perspective of government, how that, how that has, how that affects our understanding and our concept of how we view the gospel. How do we view the gospel? Um, Sam mentioned that Christ came to redeem man. 
And like I mentioned, there's really no right or wrong answers. All We had good answers this morning. Um, one, of the, one of the things that happens when we, when we because of, of the, the understanding of democracy and autocracy that we have, when we read scripture, we simply don't see the concept of a kingdom. We miss it because we're, in our minds, an autocracy is not something that functions properly. We, we, when we read the New Testament and we don't see it, what we do see is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Now let's think about this a little bit. We see the gospel, we see the gospel as an opportunity to be saved from our sins, which it is. But that's where it stops. That's where we stop. We see the gospel as we, we, see, we see Jesus as a means to an end, our eternal life, not as the end in and of himself. You see? You see what's happening here? We're thinking about my rights. We understand that we're lost people, right? We understand that. We understand that we need to be saved. I need to, I need to be saved from hell and I need, I need to gain heaven. I want to gain heaven, right? So I need to believe on Jesus Christ and be saved. We even have, we even have these clever little cliches that we use in our evangelism, like the Romans' road to salvation. And we have the four spiritual laws. And these things are all good. And I'm not in any way attacking those things in particular. But I am saying... I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to look at the Romans Road a little bit. And for those of you who don't know, the Romans Road is a list of verses from the book of Romans that puts in a nutshell what you need to do to be saved. Starts with a statement that we have all sinned by nature and by choice. We, we believe that, right? That's true. We are by nature, we are children of wrath, right? Okay, the, the cure for that or the, the verse for that, Romans 3.23, for we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's, that's true. The next statement is we receive eternal life as a free gift. Romans 6.23 is a verse for that, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's good, it's true. God demonstrated his love for us, his enemies. So we are alienated from Christ while we are alienated from Christ, Jesus chose to love us. Romans 5.8, for, for God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We must trust and surrender to Jesus Christ in order to be saved. That's the next statement. Verse for that is in Romans 10, Verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confess, con, confession is made unto salvation. And then we have a sinner's prayer at that point where we can, we can lead someone to Christ if they confess with their mouth. 
and we pray, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin deserves to be punished. I believe Christ is the Son of God who died for me and rose from the grave. I want to turn from my sin and trust Jesus Christ alone as my Savior. Thank you for the forgiveness and everlasting life I can now have through faith in Jesus. One more statement in verse. Then we have the assurance of our salvation through Jesus. Romans 10, verse 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not attacking or trying to tear down this. This, but, but if this is the only gospel that you're preaching, you are preaching a false gospel. Because there is so much more that we're missing. This, this is not what Jesus came to preach. Jesus did not come to primarily preach about me receiving eternal life. That is a part of the package. However, Jesus came, Henry mentioned it, to preach the kingdom of God. So you see how that as because of the society we live in, because that we cannot wrap our minds, we, we can't wrap our minds around living in a kingdom where there is, where the government is an autocracy, we, we, view, we, we view scripture primarily as, as a, as something to very individualistic. It is a means by which I can gain something. And it is, but there's so much more. So I'd like to look now at what did Jesus teach? And we're going to look at a number of verses throughout the New Testament. The first one is simply in Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2. This is at the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John came preaching about the kingdom of heaven. That was the theme of his ministry. Next one, chapter 4 of Matthew. This is after Jesus has been, has been baptized by John, has been led into the wilderness by the Spirit, and then this is just after his, his tempting from Satan. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, the kingdom of heaven is what he was preaching about. We see it again in Matthew 10. This is where Jesus is sending out the 12. And he's telling them to, verse, verses, Matthew 10, verses 5 to 7, these twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, 
But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Again, the theme of the teaching, the preaching, was the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to stop right here. Our next verse, we'll look at this. But at this point, they haven't mentioned the new birth. In fact, the new birth is only mentioned once in this account here in John. Now, again, I want to be very clear. We need to be born again. Jesus makes that very clear right here in this scripture. However, your new birth and your salvation was not the theme of Jesus' teaching. It was about the kingdom of God, how to live in that kingdom. And I want to look at this, these, this passage here in John. <clears throat> a little more closely. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. I'd like to notice what Jesus says happens when you become born again. In order to be part of the kingdom of God, the theme of Jesus' ministry, in order to be part of that, you need to be born again. That is how we gain entrance into the kingdom of God. There's a few more verses. Um, Acts, we see that. This is after Stephen had been stoned. Acts 8. And Saul was persecuting the churches. And, and the disciples were scattered from Jerusalem. Philip, but when they, Philip went down to Samaria. And this is what we read when he came down to Samaria. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God... And the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Again, Philip goes and preaches about the kingdom of God. In Acts, we see that same thing. That's what Paul talked about when he went to the Ephesians. Verse 19 is when he came to the Ephesian church and he found that they had been baptized under the baptism of John. And he explained to them, he, he taught them concerning the kingdom of God. And then later in Acts 20, as he's leaving the church at Ephesus, he, he, he says, uh, Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone, preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So that's the gospel. That's what they, that's what they the, that was the theme of what they taught
So the, the point I'd like to leave here the, with these verses is that the kingdom of God is the theme. It is, it is what the New Testament is, is about. Um, it, it's not simply about my personal salvation. And we're going to look more in, in later messages about how this, how this is fleshed out, how this works as we relate together. Um, <clears throat> salvation being redeemed from the powers of darkness is a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. And as, as, I, as I've studied this, and one of the reasons, I guess, that I felt led to share this is that as American people, we have, we have reduced the gospel because of the, the, because of the world view, the, the culture that we live in. We, we see it. We see the gospel primarily as a a as two things: either being saved from hell, or then gaining heaven. In in fact, I the uh, four spiritual laws that I had mentioned um, read: the first law is God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Man is sinful and separated from God, therefore he cannot know and experience God's love and plan for his life. That first law is, it is missing something. If you present that to an unsaved person, then it, it, it's not the complete gospel. Jesus didn't promise that we are going to have that this life, in fact, what Jesus taught, and we're going to look at that in, in future messages, but what Jesus taught is, is that we need to take up our cross and follow him. If they persecute him, who are we? The servant is not greater than his master. We will also be persecuted. The wonderful plan for our life is that on this earth, there's a very good chance that we might be persecuted or give our life for believing in Jesus. And so, I'd simply like this morning to uh, just like to close with a, with a few points. And I, I, I'm simply, I, I want to, I want to leave here, I want to, to leave you with the with the importance of pursuing and understanding the kingdom of God, that there is more than just simply saying a sinner's prayer and going on living your life just as you always have. There's, there's more. So back to our question, why is it important? I believe it's important because it invites us into an obedient love-faith relationship with Christ as our Lord and King. That means placing our trust in Christ and believing that He will provide. He will provide what we what we need. Um, 
It's simply recognizing him as Lord of our life. And remember, from our American culture, we do not recognize someone as being Lord over us. In fact, the very fabric of our society is designed to protect my rights to keep that from happening, to keep someone from lording it over me. That is the whole intent of our uh, Constitution, is that no one has any rights over me. Number three, it recognizes him as my provider. And remember I mentioned that a kingdom is a, is a, is a it belongs, the domain of a kingdom belongs to the king. And so we, we trust him to provide what we need. We, we subject ourselves under his lordship and trust that, that he, it's going to be sufficient because we believe God is sufficient. Kingdoms belong to the monarch and his subjects are able to live by enjoying resources that are not theirs. Think about that. It is through Christ, it is through the redeeming power of Jesus Christ that we have the power to withstand the attacks from the enemy. Ephesians 5, um, where, where uh, Paul talks about that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities and darkness. How do we do that? By bringing, us, bringing ourselves under subjection to our Lord and King. So kings, good ones, provide blessings and protection to those who otherwise would not have it. Under the rule of a monarch, the subjects of the king enjoy gifts and opportunities for life that are made possible by the king. In such a kingdom, the king's authority hardly has to be imposed by force as a great loyalty and thankfulness will exist among the subjects. Long live the king becomes their sincere and enthusiastic expression. Isn't that what we sang about this morning? That Jesus Christ, the king and lord of our life, he provides, he is, he is all that we need. <clears throat> Number four, it shows us how to live. And as I mentioned, we're going to look at that some more later on. Um, but real quickly, um, Romans 14, I don't have it on the PowerPoint, but Romans 14, we, Keith has just preached through that. We know, um, Paul is talking about how we relate together as people and listen what he says. Verses 16 and 17. Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, who was Paul talking to? He was talking to the, the church there in, in Rome. So this is, this is how you relate to each other. And instead of saying the church, he says the kingdom of God. This is how we work together. Uh, 
And so, also from that scripture, we see it is a present reality. The kingdom of God is, is here today, and while it is, it, is, it is not yet completed, once Christ comes back to take back his bride, that will be the, the completion, the, the fullness of the kingdom of God. But it is a present reality. I'd like to close simply with a uh, with a quote from Lactantius that sums this up. On account of goodness and faithfulness that he, speaking of Jesus, displayed towards God on earth, there was given to him a kingdom and glory and dominion, and all peoples, tribes, and languages will serve him. And this is understood in two ways. First, even now, he has an everlasting dominion when all people of all nations and languages adore his name, confess his majesty, follow his teachings, and imitate his goodness. Second, when he comes again with majesty and glory to judge every soul to restore the righteous to life, then he will truly have dominion over the whole earth. That's what Lactantius wrote in about the year 300. Uh, speaking of of Christ's kingdom. <clears throat> so this morning, um, I just simply trust and pray that each of us will will pursue the kingdom of God, that we will um, experience entrance to the kingdom of God uh, through the new birth. And most of all, that we could subject ourselves to his lordship. Not just at one point in our lives when we accept him through the new birth, but throughout every aspect of our life that we would recognize him as the supreme being in our life. Uh, I'm going to close with prayer, James, and then... I'll let you close. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have loved us, Father, and that you are, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Father, this morning I just pray that each of us would be willing to, right now at this very moment, to subject ourselves to your Lordship, to accept that you will nothing but good for us. And so, Lord, I pray that we could look to you to know how to, how to go about life, how to love, how to interact with people so that your name ultimately, Father, would be glorified. Let's pray in Jesus' name, amen.